Our sermon text this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 41 through 52. The parents of Jesus went to Jerusalem every year for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey. When they started to look for him among their relatives and friends, when they did, they did not find him. They returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. He said to them, Why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. My friends, Merry Christmas. This is the final day of Christmas Tide, and it is a joy to be with you in worship, and it's a joy to be streaming with you, or if you're watching on demand, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you. I want you to know I was gone on vacation this past week. I was out to lunch with a friend, and Reverend Chambers texted me and said, uh, what are you going to preach on? Which of the texts? And I said, I haven't even begun to look. Pick one for me. So he picked this. And then Kia, our communications director, said, do you have a title? I said, I haven't even begun to work on it. So if you notice the title of the sermon, it's called Another Christmas Sermon. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I phoned that in. It was a long and wonderful trip, um, but I'm glad to be back with you. Since we're still celebrating Christmas, I thought it'd be apropos before I pray for us to all to pause for a moment. And I'd like for you to think about somebody that you're grateful for over this holiday season. Think about someone who's blessed you and invited a little bit more Christ into your life. And then we'll pray, and then we'll try to get at the heart of the story. Creator, we are full of gratitude. You have blessed us with so many blessings, but mostly the blessing of people and love. And most of all, you have blessed us by sending your Son to reconcile us to you, to take on our humanity, to elevate that humanity, to bring us into your divine embrace. And for that, we say thank you, Father. God, you and I both know that without you, I can do nothing, and so we ask for your gift of the Holy Spirit now. 
Send your spirit for we all just feeble of mind and heart. Illumine us to the nature of this text. Let it, let it bring forth newness in our hearts. Give us strength and vitality as we think together about this wonderful story from the Gospel of St. Luke. It's in Jesus' holy and precious name we pray, and God's people say together, Amen. Well, it was just Christmas Eve. Many of you were gathered with me in this space. We had a 5 o'clock service for family and children, and when you look out over the sea of people, it looks like popcorn because the kids are antsy and moving around. They're filled with excitement, and I'm convinced that most of them are excited to leave the service to go look at the live nativity. I know that my kids were. After service, I stood in the back and I greeted everyone, and then I meandered outside to greet friends, old and new alike, and even check out the nativity for myself. I was a bit nervous out there at the live nativity as people cruised down our high street pretty quickly. And so I was standing with a police officer and a few others by the road, keeping an ever-watchful eye on my children and my nieces and nephews and anybody else. Well, I go this way and that on Christmas Eve. I'm all around talking to people. So I left that scene, and then I came back. And I stood there for some time looking for my family, and then I spied on the steps and in the doorway my mom, my dad, and Ruby, my second daughter. And I go over to them to see where Marcella is, my eldest daughter, and my dad says she's over there by the live nativity. I said, no, she's not. I was standing over by the live nativity. She's not here. As well, she must be somewhere. And then we started hearing rumors. Oh, she's hiding in a stairwell. She's talking with a friend, or she's going this way or that. And so I began to look for her in all these places, and I couldn't find Marcella. And as time went on and we couldn't locate her, my heart rate raced and my blood pressure shot up. I got so nervous. Why? Well, Like I said, cars are zooming down this road on Christmas Eve, and this church has a ton of access points. The doors are all open. People are going this way and that. We have 24 hidden staircases that you don't know about. You can get places in this church, the back ways, the front ways, and the sideways. Where could she be? And on top of all of that, on Christmas Eve, we welcome in a whole lot of people that we don't know. Where was my little girl? I have to confess to you a sin. It's a sin that I'm guilty of frequently, but there are a few occasions running around the building where I ran into staff members who wanted to talk with me about the service, and and I snapped at them. I snapped at them. I said, I can't talk to you. I'm busy right now looking for Marcella, and word got around that we were looking for her. Sometime later, as I stood in the admin hallway, my wife Colleen called me, and she said, don't worry, don't worry. She's with me. She's with me in the children's wing. Kids will be the death of me. It was just last Sunday. I was at my last congregation visiting, and a group of us went to to a place called Monocles for lunch. It's kind of a favorite central Illinois hotspot for pizza. I dropped off uh, Marcella and Ruby and Colleen at the door so they could secure for us a very large table. I parked, and I grabbed our baby Max and, and all the diaper bags because I'm a good 21st century dad. And I'm walking in the very frozen tundra air of central Illinois, and I see Ruby comes flying out of the door and running towards me, and I have to use a booming voice to yell, Ruby, stop, because I saw a car flying right by the door, and it would have killed her. Ruby was only interested in coming to the van for her three pictures she colored for her friend. She called them her pictures, 
Daddy, I want my pictures. These kids are going to kill me. Any parent has felt this anxiety over their child. Even within the Holy Family, Mary and Joseph felt this way too. You see, they had traveled with their community to Jerusalem for a festival, the festival of Passover. And after all the festivities were done and they were to head back, they noticed that Jesus wasn't with them. I know, it, it seems odd to modernize when we, when we read the story, certainly odd to modern ears. It says that a whole day went by and they didn't know where he was. But in the ancient world, let me assure you, life was a lot more communal than our life today. They would have caravaned with extended family, cousins, aunts, uncles, and the like, and it would be commonplace to let your family travel together like that and let your children travel with aunts and uncles. There was no such thing, I believe, as a helicopter or a snowplow parent in this day. So after, I thought that joke was, thank you, D. I thought that was going to go over better. So after a day, Mary and Joseph start thinking, have you seen Jesus lately? No. So start asking aunts and uncles and cousins. Nobody'd seen him. That's when I start to worry. So they turn around and they head back to the holy city, to Jerusalem. And there they look down alleyways and in shops. They look for him for three days. This would be the first time Jesus, is, Jesus couldn't be found for three days. Finally, it dawns on them, well, let's go to the holy temple mount. And they go up there, and they go inside, and there he is. Now, when I discovered where Marcella was, Colleen assured me, she said, don't be upset. Marcella went exactly where I told her to go, to the children's child care area. I, still being filled with anxiety and frantic panic, yelled on the phone, she should be punished. I can't handle this on Christmas Eve. I've got responsibilities. I think my wife said, get over yourself. <laughs> she might as well have said to me, where did you expect her to be? Why would you be upset for she's where she's supposed to be? Mary goes over to Jesus, still filled with anxiety. In fact, she says that, why have you done this to us? Parents, raise your hand if you've ever thought that about your child. Why have you done this to us? Your mother and father and Ellis, that and the other. She says, we've been looking for you with great anxiety. And Jesus basically says, why wouldn't I be here? I am where I'm supposed to be. The Christ child, the Son of God, had to be in the house of God to discuss the story of God and God's people. He was where he was supposed to be. Then some interesting things occur, and Luke narrates them very quickly. Let me share them with you. It says that the older people are amazed at his teaching, his learning, and his questions. In fact, the center window of the second window back records this moment where Jesus is in the temple with people who are amazed at his insight and wisdom beyond his years. Then it tells us he's obedient to his mother. Son of God, obedient to his mother. And then it says, just like that nativity story, 
when Mary hears all the wonderful things the shepherds were told by angels, it says the same thing here, how Mary responds. As they leave, she treasures these things in her heart. You know, when I looked over this story and contemplated it this week, I thought, what to say? This, after all, is the first scripture I ever preached as an associate minister here at this church. What to say? It struck me in some interesting way that Joseph and Mary are almost like the archetypal picture of the spiritual life. I don't want to be too allegorical here, but I saw a parallel to Christian pilgrims seeking something more, seeking God, and Joseph and Mary in this story. Think about it for a moment. Think about our world for a moment. I think if we can say something about the nature of our current world, it's it's made up of so much anxiety. Would you agree? I was uh, not able to sleep one night when I was uh, on my vacation. I don't know if you've ever done this, but I, I did the dumb thing. I leaned over and grabbed my phone and started looking on social media. I was scrolling through loved ones' feeds, and I came across this question. Someone I love said, I want to crowdsource. What are some natural remedies to get rid of depression and anxiety? At first, I felt my intellectual superiority by thinking, ha, you can't do such a thing. And then my compassion came over me, and I began to read the suggestions, and then I offered one of my own, because I struggle with anxiety, as you know. I said, well, things that help for me, these are tools in my toolkit. They won't solve anything, but they'll change your relationship to anxiety. I wrote mindfulness meditation and writing a gratitude journal. Every day, writing things you're grateful for. Those are proven ways to help, to give aid to you. The next person who wrote, like, said, that's, that's garbage, and suggested instead that uh, my loved one get CBD oil. You know what CBD oil is? This, this is oil associated with, with the marijuana, but the THC is taken out, and, and it's literally all over the place. And you drive around Bloomington Normal, every business that's about to close, so like all the movie stores, is, are they're selling CBD oil. And the signs everywhere say things like, this will, this will cure your anxiety. It'll help your depression. It'll cure what ails you. My brother-in-law just called it snake oil. Truth is, the FDA has got no proof on it. It's all anecdotal. But my point is, if we're this crazy about a product, it tells me something about the heart of our culture. And I know it goes deeper than this. I think that many late modern capitalistic industrial societies Many of us in that society are anxiously searching for something deeper than help from anxiety. We're anxiously seeking meaning. What can give my life value and meaning and purpose? What can help me feel grounded when all the world around me makes me feel adrift? As Sarah said in her prayer this morning. So we look and we search. And we search frantically for this, just like Mary and Joseph search frantically for their son. Certainly, Jesus was nothing if not the meaning of God. Isn't that what we mean when we say word of God? Now, Mary and Joseph, they're, they're devout types. 
So they head back to Jerusalem. They go back to the temple. But many in our day, many fellow pilgrims in search of the spiritual life, we, we've reached for things that are not so helpful to fill that spot in our hearts that yearns for meaning. The things people reach for are pretty well known. Substances, physical intimacy, success, money. But there are other things that we reach for to, to create meaning for ourselves that are on the surface really, really good things, but when out of order or out of balance become devoid of their meaning, actually, as they become idols and gods over us. And these things are things like family or country or even the simple notion of having happy memories. Is that what it's all about, happy memories? I was once hiking out in the woods, and I saw a family together, but it was clear by everything about their being that they did not want to be together. You know what I'm talking about? Kids didn't want to be with mom and dad, and I don't think mom and dad really wanted to be together. And then mama said this. She said, all right, guys, get together. And she started choreographing different people for different poses for different pictures. And she said, and I'll never forget this phrase, mama needs her memories. And I thought about what's going to happen right after this. She's either going to put this on some sort of social media, or if she's old school, she'll print it out at the Walgreens and frame it in her house. But all for you to go see, never knowing the reality behind these happy memories. I submit to you that even if they were happy memories, is that really all that gives us meaning? We are seekers. We are meaning seekers. We're anxious about finding value and a place to stand, and so we search. Let me submit to you that so often when it comes to the spiritual life, we find fulfillment, the end goal, in places that we don't always expect. For Mary and Joseph, they find their son in a place they sorely didn't expect. He was in the temple pondering the mysteries of God. He wasn't in the arcade. He wasn't in the donut shop. He wasn't playing ball. It took them three days to figure out where he was in the temple. And for all of us Christian pilgrims, we're invited to seek meaning and value in the divine in the most unlikeliest of places. You see, we gather to confess that a peasant Jew dying a traitor's death is the face of God. <laughs> That's crazy. Or it's true. You and I come and confess that God has identified with us by becoming us, by being a child and going through all the indignities of childhood. You and I confess that we find meaning in a God who actually comes to us in human form and then has to grow up and then has to learn, has to learn. You and I confess a God who comes to us as a child and has a mother. It's not what we would expect. Maybe it's not even what we would have planned or wanted. But sometimes the very best things are what we least expect them to be. My father-in-law was talking to me about how when his wife was pregnant with 
Colleen, my beautiful bride, he wanted nothing more than to have a son. He was a farmer, after all, and having a son really boded the best possibility of having some help. And so Colleen was born. He was immediately in love, but I'm convinced he had no idea how to raise a daughter. They don't come with operating instructions, as you know. And so they got pregnant with their second almost a year later, and little Katie came. My father-in-law probably was hoping for a boy again, but now he had little Katie. And I know he was in love, and I knew he knew a little bit more about how to raise a girl, but still, not much. He told me that by the time Patty was pregnant with Kelly, my third sister-in-law, he knew he didn't want to have a boy that these girls had changed his heart. He wanted something, but what he got was far better. He expected something, but what came was what was right. Friends, as we have come to a close on Christmas and we look forward to Epiphany and we continue to search for God, let me invite you and your searching hearts to not take note of the vain dreams of society and chase after them, but let me invite you to a much humbler place, for that is where we will find meaning. Let me invite you to a place much more humble, for that is where God lives. And like Mary, let us treasure these things in our hearts.